Hey everyone, um, I'm Micah Gaddy, and today I'll be reading Matthew 5, verse 1 to 6. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountainside, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Well, again, as Matt has said, thanks to our scripture readers. It's been really fun having you do this for us and and serving your church family in this way. As uh, was just read, we're going to jump into our next uh, beatitude this morning. But before we do that, I would love to tell you a quick story. This past summer, I had the opportunity to do a quick little one-day camping trip, one, uh, one-night um, uh, camping trip with Cam Ogilvie and Mike Van Egmond. Uh, I assume most of you will know both of those guys. Cam uh, serves on our elder uh, board. Mike was a pastoral intern with us for a little while. He's now married and living in Hamilton with uh, his wife, Ruth Ann. Uh, But this was sort of a preparatory trip for Michael. Michael was going to be getting married uh, in the near future from when we went on this trip. And Cam and I said, let's get you out into the wilderness and just teach you everything you need to know um, heading into your marriage. Cam and I were probably very poorly equipped for that, but we did our best. Um, But if if you've ever done a camping trip like this, this was one of those ones that was sort of two-thirds planned, I would say. We kind of had the basics lined up, but, you know, the ins and outs of it, we said we'll just kind of figure out as we go. For example, we were going to be camping on crown land, which meant that we didn't have a site picked out or booked or anything like that. We said, we'll just kind of hit a trail and find a good spot as we go. Now, I am someone that puts a lot of weight in finding the right spot to camp. I like to have a good view. I like to have, you know, a good spot for for making a fire, sitting around that fire, eating together, another good spot for for tents, you know, uh, ideally a great swimming spot. Like, it's pretty important to me to find the right place. And I sensed that the other guys were the same as we set out. Well, what happened was we, we, uh, we were kind of looking at this map and thinking, oh, that looks like a cool lake over here. Why don't we try and strike out that way? And, and we, were, we were bushwhacking, I should say, at a certain point. We kind of veered off the trail um, on purpose. But uh, it was a very hot day and it was very buggy and we quickly ran out of water. Now, we had the means to make more water in our packs, filtration stuff, but it was all kind of packed away. And we said, we don't really want to stop here with all these bugs and start unpacking things. Like, let's just find our spot. But we kept striking out. We kept um, hitting brush that was too thick to get through or, or thinking, oh, over here will be a spot and there wasn't. And we, at least myself, and I think the other guys shared this feeling, it just, I started getting thirstier and thirstier and uh, more and more desperate to find water so that I could drink. And so eventually Cam said, I saw a spot over here. It's not the greatest, but it'll work. And we all said, fine, let's do it. Let's go. We dropped our bags, grabbed our filters and just jumped in the water and started drinking uh, as much as we could because we were all like dying of thirst. The point is, as we went for longer and longer without water, everything else, all these other things that had been really important to us, mattered less and less. Our highest priority, uh, our deepest desire was uh, quickly becoming uh, to satisfy our thirst. <clears throat> and so, as we begin this morning, I want you to think for a moment. When was the last time that you were truly 
hungry or, or truly thirsty, I actually want you to, in, in just a minute, reflect and think on the last time that you can remember. Because I think whenever in, in a sermon we're able to engage more than just our minds, that's a good thing. And Jesus gave us this beatitude in a way that we ought to be able to relate to it with our minds, but our bodies as well. Some of the other beatitudes, Matt and Dave so far in what we've, we've covered, have helped those become really, uh, really tangible for us. But with sort of time and familiarity, they can be a little abstract, right? Poor in spirit, meekness. Mourning, if you've ever experienced deep mourning, you know that you can feel that in your body. But, but hunger and thirst, every human being has felt that feeling. And so, again, in this beatitude, we have an opportunity to really kind of get at this in a unique way. So let's not, let's not miss out on that. Okay, so take a minute, reflect. When was the last time that you were really hungry or dying for a drink of water? Go ahead. Okay, hold that feeling. Hold it in your mind, hold it in your body. I'm gonna pray and we'll jump into our passage for this morning. Jesus, I thank you that as you painted this this picture of what it means to be uh, a citizen of your kingdom, what it means to be one of your disciples, what, what those kinds of people will look like, that because you came and lived a human life, you could speak in very human terms. And so I pray that this morning, as we consider this next beatitude, that it would sink in to us in maybe a unique way, that we would understand it, um, that we would unlock some understanding that maybe we haven't before. We need, uh, we need the Holy Spirit to do that. So would you do that, Spirit, this morning, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's dive in. Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Now, let's break this down a little bit. Blessed. We don't need to spend too much time here because uh, Matt, in his introduction, did a great job of helping us, helping us understand this idea of blessing. It's not simply a superficial feeling based on present circumstances. It's a deep contentment based on right relationship with God. It's enjoying God's favor regardless of our status in the world. So let's Let's take that, blessed, and let's continue on. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now, for a minute, we're actually gonna leapfrog over hunger and thirst and think about righteousness. And as we do that, we'll return back to hunger and thirst, okay? Righteousness. Scripture gives us two very broad understandings of the, of the term righteousness. There, there would be, um, you know, hours and hours, pages that we could fill with and, and have been filled with what righteousness means. But we're going to think about two broad senses that scripture, um, two broad sort of uh, themes that scripture can be referring to by righteousness for a minute here, okay? The first one is in some ways, at least for this morning, the more simple, 
Now, as we get into it, you might laugh at that um, as you realize what we're gonna be talking about. But the first understanding of righteousness is one's right standing before God based on Christ's work. A person's right standing before God based on Christ's work. There's a theological term for this and it's justification. Paul talked about this a lot in his writings. One example, Romans chapter three, verses 21 and 22, but we'll focus specifically on verse 22. It says this, but for now the, uh, excuse me, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. Verse 22, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. This is the gospel, right, friends? We recognize that we aren't righteous, we desire to be, and, and we look to Jesus and God makes it, makes it happen. We're declared righteous. And so, what does it mean then, as I said, we would kind of go back here, what does it mean then to hunger and thirst with this understanding of righteousness? Well, commentators point out that in many ways, the previous Beatitudes that we've looked at build towards this point that we're at now. It's, it's a slow breakdown, if you will, until a person has nothing left. And finally, you begin to look outside yourself to find uh, your needs met. John MacArthur says this really well uh, in his commentary. Here's what he writes. The first three, the first three Beatitudes, that is, are essentially negative. Commands to forsake evil things that are barriers to the kingdom. In poverty of spirit, we turn away from self-seeking. In mourning, we turn away from self-satisfaction. And in meekness, we turn away from self-serving. The fourth Beatitude is more positive and is a consequence of the other three. The more we put aside what we have, the more we long for what God has. I think this is illustrated very poignantly by the story that Jesus told of the prodigal son. Now, if you've read that story much, you know that it's, it's actually a story with three characters in it, and we can learn something from each of the characters, but this morning I actually want us to think about the one after whom the, the parable is typically named, that youngest son. See, when he leaves home, the world is his oyster in many ways. He has a wad of cash, uh, his part of the inheritance that he's just rudely asked his father for, and seemingly unlimited freedom, the ability to fill all of his appetites as he will. And he does. But as he gradually comes to the end of himself, giving up on self-seeking, self-satisfaction, self-serving, he realizes that he ultimately longs to be home. And sure enough, he's welcomed back by his father with open arms. And so, if that's what it means to hunger and thirst in this understanding of righteousness, our right standing before God, what does it mean to be satisfied then? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Again, commentators tell us that the word satisfied here isn't getting at like, yeah, 
you know, I, I think I'm good. You know, kind of when you're eating and you're like, ah, I could eat more, but I should probably stop. No, this is like being completely full, your, your thirst being sated. And so go back for a moment. If you were able to think of a time where you were truly hungry or truly thirsty, go back to that place Feel that feeling, you know, where you can almost feel your body breaking down. You know, you feel yourself getting weaker and weaker. It feels like a slow death. And then remember that feeling of finally getting to sit down and eat something or finally getting a long drink. It, it literally feels like life is returning to your body, doesn't it? I remember, as I said, jumping into the lake that day, and um, I just had one of those, you know, fancy straws where, you know, normally you kind of uh, fill up your bottle from the lake and then you drink through the straw. I was just drinking right out of the lake using the straw because I was so thirsty. Uh, But I remember that feeling of just like lying back in the water finally after getting a good drink and feeling like, oh, I can like breathe again here. I I feel like life has returned to me. And friends, this is mirrored in the spiritual reality. Jesus, Jesus wants us to, to understand this. That it's at that point that we understand that we're, we're dying. That actually we're, we're dead in our trespasses and sins as the scriptures tell us. And when we finally turn to God, recognizing that we need help, that he restores us to life. He gives us new life through the work of Jesus. And we're satisfied. Jesus is getting at this in that beautiful conversation that he has sitting at a well on a hot day with this woman who's been ostracized by her community. John chapter 4, verses 13 and 14. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Sounds like satisfaction, doesn't it? And if this offends you this morning, maybe you're still in this place of trying to figure out what you think of Jesus, trying, you know, you're, you're new to religion or faith, and you've always had this understanding that it's built on sort of a, a, a contract, right? I do something and then I'm rewarded in this particular way. So maybe hearing what I've just said kind of grates on you or even offends you a little bit. I would suggest perhaps that you maybe haven't progressed quite down that ladder of those previous beatitudes, had those humbling experiences of coming to the end of yourself just yet. But when you do, or if you're in that place this morning, Jesus is there, friends, at the bottom of the ladder, waiting for you, longing to give you the truly blessed life. You simply need to admit your need to him. But hungering and thirsting for righteousness, if you've been a follower of Jesus for a little while, hopefully you will recognize that it doesn't end on that day where you put your faith in Jesus and you are declared righteous before God. The hungering and thirsting doesn't end there, or it shouldn't at least. And so to understand this, we must turn to our second understanding of righteousness. 
the second meaning of righteousness broadly that the scriptures gives us is righteousness referring to actions that conform to God's will. Actions that conform to God's will. And here I'm going to cheat a little bit because we're actually going to understand this second sense of righteousness in two ways. You're thinking, oh, this outline is getting complicated. Stay with me. Stay with me. First, there's this sense that most of us probably think of, okay, when you hear me say conforming to God's will. That's the kind of righteousness as you or I have a right relationship with God as a result of being obedient to his will, right? You and I having a right relationship with God as a result of of living in a way that conforms to his will. Again, to put some theological language on this, we might call this like personal holiness, David gets at this in the Psalms. I want to read one for us. Uh, Psalm 11, verse 7. For the Lord is righteous, and he loves righteous deeds. The upright shall behold his face. The Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright shall behold his face. But now maybe you're sensing a little bit of the, the paradox here the paradox of this beatitude. Because we just said that the moment you recognize your spiritual need, that that hunger and thirst for righteousness, the day that you recognize that and put your faith in Jesus, you were forever put in right relationship with God. You were declared righteous. And yet, and in fact, in some ways, as a result of that experience, as you now look at your life, you sense all of the ways in which all of the sort of pockets of your life that that are unrighteous, that are outside of God's desire and will for you. And I hope that you long for those things to change. You long to be further and more deeply shaped in the likeness of Jesus. Martin Lloyd-Jones in his uh, sermons on the Beatitudes, Matt's um, read from these a little bit, and I think Dave did as well. So good. Let me quote uh, uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones here for a moment. The man who hungers and thirsts for righteousness is the man who sees that sin and rebellion have separated him from the face of God and longs to get back into that old relationship, the original relationship of righteousness in the presence of God. He's Lloyd-Jones is speaking here of the garden, of Adam and Eve walking and talking with God, being naked and, and unashamed. Nothing to hide. But uh, he goes even a little bit further in his commentary. Martin Lloyd-Jones continues. He says, it means a desire to be free from the very desire for sin. Because we find that the man who truly examines himself in the light of the scriptures not only discovers that he's in the bondage of sin, still more horrible is the fact that he likes it, that he wants it. Hard words to hear, friends, but I imagine if your experience has been anything like mine, this last year has had some of this intertwined in it. You know, as we've experienced uh, the uncertainty and stress of lockdowns and the isolation that it brings and, and on and on and on, perhaps that's brought back old habits in your life that you thought were finally kind of dealt with or maybe surfaced new ones 
new behaviors or habits or attitudes that you are not proud of, that you wish were not there. And you're thinking to yourself, I I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to want it anymore. And friends, can I just encourage you that God wants to meet you in that place? If you ever get trapped in this mode of thinking that, man, let me clean myself up and then like I can commune with God again. No, God wants to meet you in this place that you're in right now. But I said that this second sense of righteousness, actions that that conform to God's will, there's actually two senses, two, really two sides of this coin as well. The one we said is, is sort of our own, having our own right relationship with God by living in accordance with his will for us. But that, a right relationship with God in accordance with his will will always be inextricably linked, friends, to right relationship between us and the people around us. Understand what I'm saying? You, you really can't have one without having the other. This sort of right relationships between us and the people around us to, again, attach that theological term, this is, this is justice. The prophet Ezekiel talked about this very pointedly. Ezekiel thirty-three thirteen. 13, he talks about how you can't have one without having the other. Listen to his words. Though I say to the righteous that he shall surely live, yet if he trusts in his righteousness, and does injustice, none of his righteous deeds shall be remembered. But in his injustice that he has done, he shall die. Because that person's not truly righteous, are they? They're they're missing it. Right relationship with God demands justice towards our neighbors. They're bound together. Dave talked about this really wonderfully uh, a couple of weeks ago in the context of mourning, mourning the brokenness in ourselves and mourning the brokenness in the world around us. And when we really do that, friends, when we really experience the depths of that mourning, the injustice that is such an entrenched part of life on this planet and how we've played a part in that brokenness, in that injustice, how could we not find ourselves longing for it to be different? Being desperate for things to change, things in me and things in the world around me. Let me encourage you that believing that things can be different is actually a profound act of resistance. Because the world, in many ways, I think the world believes that this is just the way of things. This is the way things are. We can't change it, can't fix it. Maybe we can fix a problem over here, but then we'll discover another problem hiding in the shadows over here. Esau Macaulay wrote uh, a book, came out, I think, last year, called Reading While Black, African-American Biblical Interpretation as an Exercise in Hope. Really powerful book. And he gets at this idea Uh, and says it much better than I ever could. Hear his words here. Mourning is not enough. We must have a vision for something different. Justice is that difference. 
Jesus then calls for a reconfiguration of the imagination in which we realize that the options presented to us by the world are not all there is. There remains a better way, and that better way is the kingdom of God. He wants us to see that this kingdom is something that is possible, at least as a foretaste, even while we wait for its full consummation. To hunger for justice is to hope that the things that cause us to mourn, and I would say in, within us and in the world around us, will not get the last word. And so, what does it mean if this is another understanding of righteousness? Right relationship with God and right relationship with the people around us. What does it mean to hunger and thirst for this? Well, we've been getting at it already. Uh, Macaulay got after it very (laughs) poignantly in that passage. It, it, It means being dissatisfied with the status quo being dissatisfied, because remember this, this beatitude promises that we will be satisfied. So hungering and thirsting for this kind of righteousness means being dissatisfied by the status quo, recognizing that it's not ultimately fulfilling to have to turn to substances to feel happy or to dull my sadness. That it's not ultimately satisfying to be consumed by sexual sin in order to not feel lonely. That it's not just the way of things for indigenous peoples in our country to go decades without access to drinkable water. It's being dissatisfied with the status quo and being desperate to see right relationships between us and God and within his world. And so what does it mean, and we should say, what could it mean, or what will it mean to be satisfied in this sense of hungering and thirsting for righteousness? Well, there's this day in and day out aspect of satisfaction here, friends, and I think what that means is that when we put ourselves in the place to be filled, day in and day out, the Spirit will meet us there. This is where things like the spiritual disciplines come in, friends. The disciplines are not us earning righteousness, being righteous in any way, shape, or form. But here's how I was thinking of it this week, friends. If you're someone who is completely unable to cook for yourself, you know, you just lack those abilities, but you live with someone who regularly puts you know, food on the table at, you know, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, you are likely absolutely certain that you're at the table at mealtimes. The less able you are to cook for yourself, the more sure you're going to be to be at the table at mealtime. And friends, that's a reflection of the disciplines of scripture reading, of prayer, silence and solitude, fasting. It's us saying, I long to be satisfied. I can't do it for myself. God, I'm here. Would you feel me? And friends, I would say that it's us making ourselves available to be used by God in the world. Dave talked about this beautiful uh, moment 
talked about by Isaiah in the Old Testament of having this vision of God and his fullness and saying, I am a man of unclean lips and I live amongst the people of unclean lips. And yet, after he experiences, has that purifying experience with that hot coal, God says, hey, who are we gonna send to bring this message? And Isaiah says, here am I, send me. There's this, Isaiah has this overwhelming desire to be that carrier of of that message of justice, of reconciliation to the world. And so there's this day-by-day reality, friends, of being filled, of showing up, asking God to fill us, of being available for him to do do that work in the world. But we cannot forget, we cannot forget that there is a final fulfillment, an ultimate fulfillment that we're still waiting for. That day when we'll hear something and wonder, what, what is that? And it'll be trumpet sounding. It'll be Jesus returning on the clouds and firmly establishing his kingdom, his reign for all eternity. And you and I will experience a kind of transformation that we can only imagine and we'll see the world around us made new and transformed as well. And so as we wrap up our time together here, if you are in a place in this moment of wishing that you were further than you currently are or wishing that the world around you was different, I want you to hear, not in any sort of flippant way, that I think you're in a good place. And so... I want us to pray a prayer uh, today in closing, friends. This is adapted from uh, A.W. Tozer's Pursuit of God. If you get our weekly um, pastoral encouragement emails, you perhaps read this. I sent this out a number of months ago in one of those emails. But it's just so in line with what we've been talking about this morning. And so what I'd like, you, uh, what I'd like us to do, you're going to see this prayer on the screen. I'd like you to just read it silently and reflect on it as you read. And then in a minute or two, I'm going to read it on our behalf. And as I read it, I would love for you to take up a posture that communicates your need in some way. You're hungering and thirsting for God to do what only he can do. This, this might be, you know, uh, just putting out your hands as you sit. It might be standing and, and stretching out your arms. It might be kneeling. I don't know. I'm going to leave that for you to decide. But read this for yourself, reflect, and then I will pray it on our behalf and we will sing together. Oh God, we have tasted your goodness and it has both satisfied us and made us thirsty for more. We are painfully conscious of our need of further grace. We're ashamed of our lack of desire. Oh God, the triune God, we want to want you. We long to be filled with longing. We thirst to be made more thirsty still. Show us thy glory, we pray, so that we may know you indeed. Begin in mercy a new work of love within us. Say to our souls, rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. 
then give us grace to rise and follow you up from this misty lowland where we have wandered so long. In Jesus' name, amen.